Revolution I can't get no call to action But I try, and I try, and I try Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, business and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards. Today I've caught Andrew Tyndall, a man who probably hasn't slept in days. We've snared Andrew straight from System 1's Super Bowl War Room. After spending the past week testing the ads our industry can't help but get sweaty about, he's here to tell us what's won and why. An award-winning marketer with a commercial background at some top-notch FMCGs, he now leads System 1's global partnership strategy and growth, seeking out the world's best ads and the reasons why they work to unlock the potential of their world-leading effectiveness database. On the topic of wear-out, Andrew says, the only people who get bored of great ads are those who made them. Well said and welcome to the show, Andrew. Hi, Giles. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Good. Good to have you on. Yeah, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> Lovely. Well, for some reason, we're hitting you with eight quick fires, not our usual seven. So make of that what you will. Starting with out of home or radio. Oh, God. What? No, it's horrible. Um, Radio. Christmas ads or Super Bowl ads? Christmas ads. Easy. Oh, well, sticking with the Super Bowl, though, the ad breaks or the game? Ad breaks. I don't watch sport, unfortunately. Usher or Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. Wear out or wear in? (laughs) Uh, Wear in. Spike or fluency rating? Fluency rating. No. Oh. 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 Spike, Spike. I'll go with Spike racing, John. <laughs> two, two more, two more. Lions or turkeys? <laughs> turkeys. Nice. And then finally, if you know, you know, Odyssey or Platinum? Oh, Jazz, I don't think I know. Is that the first time that's happened? I don't know. <laughs> Explain. For, the, for those who aren't aware, uh, they are the team names for The Young Apprentice Season 3 2012. Oh, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. That's fine. Let's leave it there. Well, listen, Andrew, I'm so chuffed to speak to you, not least as you're you're still held up in the US after what must have been a frantic few days. Yeah, completely. Um, We've got an amazing team of researchers, analysts, and, and marketing team who stay up through the night around the Super Bowl and work all week before to kind of um, bring some robustness to the opinions out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. So if we go back to the beginning, though, Andrew, and this mm. can take a cameo into BBC's Young Apprentice if you choose, how did it all start for you? What was your first ever job? And then what was what, was what you regard to be your first proper job? Okay, so I, I used to wash plates, I think, when I was like 14 or 15 in a, in a local restaurant. That was my first job. And and I loved it, to be honest. It was good fun. Um, and my first proper job, you know, I, I could say uh, my first proper job was 
uh, I used to run data and insights from uh, an activations drinks, free drink sampling app, which is amazing called Dusk. Um, but, you know, I think my first proper job was, yeah, my, my stint on The Young Apprentice when I was uh, 15, 16, yes. And your bio for the young on the Young Apprentice website. Are you doing your research, Charles? Are you trying to embarrass <laughs> me? Always, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Far from it. Far from it. I think it's a wonderful thing to have done. But it says you you intended to set up your own biotechnology company. So how do you go from that to marketing effectiveness? Well, the the lofty dreams of sweet sixteen year old Andrew. <laughs> um, well, I actually used to study medicine. Um, I was training to be a doctor and I, I wanted to do the, uh, go on the apprentice cause it looked like a good, good laugh. And yeah. I got to leave Huddersfield where I'm from in the North and be in London for eight weeks. So I, I quickly kind of pulled together a bit of a business plan around biotechnology and, and engineering. Um, I quickly realized I just actually really do love marketing and, um, and business. So. Uh, that never came about, unfortunately. Okay, so it was it was with intent that you ended up in this industry. No, I I definitely fell into it. I was training to yeah um, be a doctor. I was at med school at um, University College London for around three years, and I I I, I had to work on the side to kind of pay my way and and my rent, and I kept working in these kind of student brand manager jobs for Innocent Smoothie and Life Health Foods and. And various other people, and I quickly realised that uh, I actually love being creative. I I love kind of marketing and, and growing something, and I, I also think that um, you know this whole notion of making an, an impact as as someone that works in medicine as a doctor um, can very much be taken into marketing. Now I wouldn't stretch that into lofty purpose bollocks, but um, you know we can interact with you know thousands and thousands of people and kind of work within culture and, and mold culture and that's what good good marketing does so yeah very much fell into it and i are there any transferable skills from medicine into uh advertising and marketing um po- possibly a scientific approach which is what i uh, i try and bring at system one yeah it's interesting actually we um a really you know great friend of mine ryan Woolman, who goes by Dr. Draper on the socials, I mean, he not only trained but practiced, I, I believe, for about three or four years as a doctor. And I won't, I know I won't do him justice if I try and remember how he articulated the kind of shared um, skill set when he was on the show previously. But I know there was a few. And one thing that stood out to me, because I'm saying this as someone who was a bit of a maths geek and loved finding solutions and answers to things. And for me, and I think he made a similar point. It was it was about how how many answers there could be in the creative world versus the kind of more absolute nature of medicine and mathematics. Yeah, completely. And um, trying to find that happy medium, I completely agree. So then, um, so let's 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 talk more then about what you're doing now at System One, because as, as I said in the intro, you've had some great experience with FMCGs. You had time um, at Innocent Drinks, Diageo. Bacardi, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah. then subsequently to System One. At what stage of that kind of career path, which is probably spans roughly five or six years, did you start looking into testing advertising and marketing effectiveness? Was that there from day one, or is that something that slowly begin began to interest you, or you became more aware of? 
Um, great question. I yeah. Um, working at kind of Diageo and Bacardi. Well, it, it's kind of. I didn't originally start wanting to work in marketing and advertising. I, I wanted to work in alcohol, booze, um, because it's so it's it's fun. It's not dull. It's so culturally relevant. We we assign so much value to that drink we order in the bar, despite it only costing kind of eight pounds. It's it overindexes in feeling. Um, and then I fell into kind of um, loving that side of it, the building of the brands. And I mainly worked in kind of what we'd call activation, brand activation at Bacardi, which is more that bottom of the funnel. Um, how do we ladder our entire campaigns um, kind of through the line? And then when I started working at Diageo more in brand comps and more uh, brand management, then I got a lot more exposure to the, the ATL, the above the line, to the big brand building pieces. And I got very interested in, you know, what works because the edge of this amazing thing called Catalyst, which is a a mixed market marketing modeling tool where they take all the data um, from uh, econometrics, you know, looking at the ROI of advertising. Um, and I'm not sharing any secrets here. There's, there's lots of public articles about this. Um, and you basically plan your comms, your your advertising campaigns into this thing, and then you hit kind of, uh, you know, help, and it comes back and goes, actually, shouldn't you be loading more cash into this channel because it, you know, TV or out of home or radio because it will bring back more, um, it will bring back more higher ROI. But what that totally ignores is the is the creative. So. I might have had a great TV campaign last year, you know, one full of motion, one that was heavily branded in the right ways, one that was fluent, um, one that had a solid strategy behind it that solved the consumer goal. This year, my campaign might be shit um, and it might not get the right results within that channel. It might not even be made for that channel. I might be taking my TV campaign and dropping it into social, a terrible thing to do. So I got thinking into how can we kind of predict the effects of this kind of advertising and make more informed choices and there is pre-testing businesses out there like you've heard you'll probably have heard of Kantar and this lot and there's the they rarely wrap up all their insights into something that's that can fit into a model like that that's very predictive and can explain what's going to happen in a very kind of robust way from what I've seen anyway um, and then I, I came across System One and uh, John Evans, the uncensored uh, CMO, the the, the 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 other marketing podcast that everyone should listen to in the industry, Giles. Um, and he kind of he kind of said, "Why don't you come on come on board?" Um, and I, I was at this point, I was a marketing geek. I was studying a master's in in uh, marketing and reading every book I could. And it was that amazing kind of uh, cross-section between uh, practice and theory and academia, which I found so, import so important um, that we all need to kind of, academia needs to bring in practice a bit more and um, practice needs to bring in academia a bit more. <laughs> yeah, and I think crucially from my perspective, and I know for a fact yours too, the one other thing it brings in the work that you do is at System 1 is it brings in the consumer is uh, far too easily ignored and dismissed yeah, is it fucking annoying when the consumer doesn't read the business plan? Yeah. 
Funny enough, you mentioned Cantal, but there's a there's a lovely stat I came across from a, a friend and past guest, Farish Rope, for, for Walk a few years ago. And it was a Nielsen stat that in 2010, 51% of Super Bowl viewers enjoyed the commercials more than the game. Amazing. I, I, I suspect, I, I saw a trend about, around that changing this year, but maybe I, I've not, maybe I'm incorrectly recalling that. But yeah, um, I think this year was maybe the, the first year where the game was actually more exciting than the ads. Depends on whether you're from Kansas or not, perhaps. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, a hell of a hell of a finish. And how do you then, so anyone who's unfamiliar with System 1, we have spoken um, previously to Orlando Woods and we had Susan Cockill on not so long ago, actually. And we, and we went into a little bit more detail on System 1's methodology. But for anyone who isn't sure, how do you test well, typically ads, but more pertinently, the Super Bowl ads that have just run. Sure. So this is actually my job. So um, I kind of build on what Orlando Woods has been doing over the past 10, 20 years to connect in market effects with emotion and creativity across the media mix. So what drives in-market effects both in the long term and in the short term? And time and time again, it's emotion. So what consumers feel leads to how that advertising is going to work. And then you've got the, the media lens on top of it, and then you've got the, the business objective and the kind of wider brand strategy below it. So how do consumers feel after being exposed to advertising always predicts how effective advertising is going to be. So how System 1 approached that is we show 150 nationally representative consumers. So um, that's kind of a robust sample size to kind of get the general gist of, uh, of how the nation um, feels. And we show them an ad and we capture how they, how they feel using the, the seven human universal emotions, um, second by second, and at what point they recognize what the brand was for. And we turn that into our predictive metrics that Orlando Wood has shown and with the with the IPA um, can explain with with the media lens. So ESOV, extra share of voice. Um, so that ESOV and our star rating, which is built from our emotions, can predict and explain around 50% of uh, long-term market share changes. So that is kind of like golden news to anyone that works in advertising or, or marketing. I often hear advertising being described as a weak force, you know, just there to kind of nudge. But in reality, it's all about the product and the, uh, and the price and the place and, and the innovation. But no, this one P, one of the four Ps, a promotion, communications, advertising, um, is responsible for nearly 50%, nearly half of the changes in market share long-term. Um, so yeah, we, we generate these metrics based on um, how real consumers feel, and we've shown that this predicts actual in-market in market effects. And we, and we test all 70 of them, and that means that um, all 70 Super ads this year have been tested with over 10,000 real Americans and really get into how they feel um, and getting away from how marketers think or feel. Yeah, which is a much um, healthier place to be, I, I would suggest. And how do you find the reaction is, not only from the market, but I suppose specifically for you, when you test an ad, 
do you feel over time you've become better at anticipating what the results will be or is that the point that that it's you know the whole market orientation point is you need to measure the market and it's difficult to actually really get a gauge prior to testing of what is going to prove to be um or predicted to be effective oh no so i often say you know opinions marketers opinions don't really um stand up to consumers um feelings and that includes my opinion my opinion means shit as well i i cannot pick you know ads that are going to score well or um or perform better or um I, i need the data to do that You'd think after being kind of, I, I have to watch kind of thousands of ads a week, really, and look at the data with the kind of research I do. And you'd think at this point I'd become some kind of like advertising effectiveness, you know, oracle, um, where you could wheel me out and I could kind of pick, you could win <laughs> ad every, every minute. It, it doesn't work like that. We need consumer feelings. And what's beautiful is kind of the randomness of it. Like it's, it's it's hard to make a, an amazingly effective ad, and we can you know we can spend ages on the strategy and and the craft and the execution of it and and what really comes down to in the end is does it land well with with consumers? Yeah, well you you did publish System One published your insights and results earlier today or late last night depending what time zone you're in. So can you give us your uh, your winners who won the Super Bowl from an, through an ad lens? True, you know what? Um, the whole who won the Super Bowl is 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 a very toxic trait that we, as marketers, I mean, one day maybe might move away from. But it it it's it's uh it's a simple way of of addressing things in in a short time and a headline. So who who won um, the Super Bowl? Um. We've looked at the long-term, predicted long-term effectiveness based on how positive kind of advertising makes people feel, which will lead to kind of greater market share gains and ads being more effective the more media you throw at them. And as far as we can see, um, Michelob Ultra with uh, Messi is probably the, the most effective in the long term. It has the highest star rating of all um, the Super Bowl ads tested this year. And... It also has a high fluency rating, um, which is fluency is the percentage of people that correctly link the ad back to the brand. Arguably, that's kind of step one, right? Advertising needs to be noticed in a in a branded in a branded way. So yeah, Michelob Ultra is really um, top of the pile in terms of that, and then Plus follows up as well. Um, we've got uh, T-Mobile. So T-Mobile with the uh, uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison singing um, again for the fourth year in a row um, around about why this wireless um, connects to 5G and it's super easy, super simple message that's consistently executed over time. It's fun, it's interesting, it's humorous. Um, really, I'd, I'd call that almost best practice, really. And then, of course, we have the Hellman's Cat um, the cat that meows mayo at everyone. Um, I'd say that's definitely up there in in the running. And then finally, we've got Pfizer's ad. So what's amazing about Pfizer is that some categories are damn hard to advertise. Pharmaceuticals is, is one of them. Um, pharmaceuticals, insurance, uh, weight loss is very difficult to advertise. Um, so when 
Pfizer come out with a beautiful, crafted, uh, culturally rich storytelling brand building piece that scores very highly and sits amongst these kind of FMCG brands. For me, that's very impressive. That's kind of where we start seeing advertising effectiveness magic because um, they've really stood out from their pack and done something distinctively different. Yeah, and it's because, I mean, I suppose also, without meaning to put words in your mouth, it's, it's about the relative effectiveness, isn't it, within the category, and it's less absolute as a measure. Completely. Yeah, completely. I talked about that um, study that Orlando's done and, and kind of I've done in different media channels, and it always is more effective when we compare it against not just the absolute scores, but against the, the category average. And kind of System 1 is the only people that can do that because we test every UK TV ad and most US TV ads. So we can uniquely look at what, what kind of stands out from the category. Um, going back briefly to the, the, the Michelob Ultra ad, can you break down the component parts that you believe have made it such a such an effective ad? Because obviously, and, and actually one question before I even allow you the time to answer, on the use of celebrity and, and uh, specifically Messi, how, how much um, of the... I suppose, positive readings that you've got from the ad, do you think are down to the fact that he is in many ways a current US darling of sorts, given his move to into Miami? As in, I suppose my question is, would this ad have been as effective if it were to run three or four years ago when he was prying his trade in Paris? Celebrity use in a Super Bowl ads has got uh, messy as fuck. Um, and <laughs> do you like the pun there? That was the only sports pun I'm going <laughs> to give you. Um, no, it wouldn't be as effective without Messi. Of course not. So um, why does it work so well? Well, because it's broadly entertaining and interesting, of course. So you could call these right brain creative features. There's a bit of a story. There's a clear sense of place. There's music with melody. There's characters uh, with distinctive accents. There's there's people with history there. And there's a scene unfolding. And there's humor as well with cultural references via celebrities. That is all broadly interesting to a broad set of people. And that's what advertising that builds lasting effects for brands has to do. It can't assume the interest. It can't assume you want a beer or care about Michelob Ultra. It's got to entertain for commercial gain. That's what good advertising for brands, brand building does on a broad medium, like the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl is the broadest medium there is. Um, so that's why it works so well. And I'd argue that's not really my opinion because Orlando as well, um, and I've extended this work into other media channels, has shown those types of creative uh, features get more attention and build more positive emotions. And I kind of took it a step further with my work with Radio Sensor, looking at radio advertising, and shown that these creative features actually build more memory structures and actually increase ad recall. So we, it's broadly entertaining. Now, how much of that is down to Messi, is, is his involvement? Um, it's the cherry on the top, isn't it? Um, that's why the ad works so well. Arguably... You could probably have 
just anyone doing that kind of kicking the football around the field in a very impressive way because it has flow, it has creative craft. Um, there's kind of an idea there that's just fun to watch. But that messy involvement, because they've chosen a very relevant, very famous, uh, culturally relevant uh, celebrity, kind of dials everything up to 10. So yeah. and it's a great use of a celebrity because it's not reliant on the celebrity for the creative idea. There's an idea there, there's a story there that then uses a celebrity to dial it up. And how they've done that is by using the celebrity for what they're known for. Like we can't have the celebs kind of looking like they're held at gunpoint doing like an awkward script reading or something, you know, no one knows that what they're for. It's about choosing a celebrity and then um, and then making the idea work harder with that celebrity. I think that might be one of the key reasons this Super Bowl isn't this set of Super Bowl ads isn't really uh, the the highest scoring we've seen or the or the, the predicted most effective we've seen. Can you expand on that then? Because on one of the slides that you published, um, it spans, you've got your US general rating and then you've got the ratings from 2020 to current day. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there were none that peaked at five-star rating. Um, and the rest of it all looked much of a muchness, although you could argue they were perhaps weaker than previous years, if that's the right word. Yeah, no five-stars um, this year. Um and there were a third of them were one stars. So our five star kind of rating with um, with at least around ten percent ESOL, we expect will gain around three percent market share. Kind of that's a general rule across categories and kind of um, media. So it won't be perfect at, at the Super Bowl because working out yourself at the Super Bowl, Jesus, I don't know how you even attempt to do that. Um, and then one stars, we expect to really shift. 0% market share in the long term and only really have these short term effects and a third of them this year were one one star ads and you know, for context 9% in 2021 and 2022 were one star ads so it's an impressive well it's we've we've lowered the ceiling and we've we've lowered the floor um We've got, yeah, it's it's not a great set of results. However, there's some brilliant ones. You know, there's uh, you know, around 10% um, of ads were at a four-star, high, high four-star rating. And there's, more, there's a handful of really effective ads. And, you know, we've talked about standout and ads standing out from the category and, and the norms. And your competitors, well, if everyone's churning out shit and you come with a brilliant ad, you're going to be more effective. It's about that that the effective dividend. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense. Do you allow yourself to enjoy the ads, or do you allow yourself to have a favourite and allow that kind of horrible subjectivity creep in when you're um, when you're reviewing? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I have a favourite ad, and um, do you want to hear it, Giles? Do yeah, a hundred percent. I'm hoping want? it's yeah. Reese's. Have you seen the Jesus washes feet ad? Uh, no, no, who's that? Of who's course, no one's talking about it because this is like kind of, there's this subset of ads within the Super Bowl that get less attention, which is um, trailers for movies, um, presidential presidential campaigns, which is an interesting one, and um, relig religious campaigns. So um, there's this charity um, called He Gets Us, um, which is... Uh, uh, it made an, an ad for Christianity, 
and was about uh, Jesus washing feet. And it actually used AI and it used different kind of scenes, um, still scenes to tell a very powerful, emotional, culturally relevant um, story. And it actually scored three stars in our testing. And to think how polarizing some of the concepts were within the art, it's seriously impressive. And it managed to do that, land a very clear message with a story in a very emotional way um, without the use of a celebrity. Um, now, I won't get into the politics around who funds that and uh, the, the wider the wider kind of uh, angles because I'm just going to remain kind of uh, objective or, and look at the ad itself. And yeah, the ad itself um, was was powerful, effective, and it was made with AI and no one's talking about it. You could tell it's made by AI because some people have got like six fingers and stuff in the ad. So, <laughs> you know, it's right. effective and it's probably efficient because I'm not sure how much they spent on it. No celebs are in there. It's a three star. Um, and yeah, I the room went silent. Like, yeah, it, it was good. Wow. You said it didn't involve a celebrity, but then without wanting to open up a religious can of worms, does Jesus not count? Jesus was not in any of them. He was just, Uh, yeah, it was, go have a look at the ad. Um, It was people um, washing the feet of kind of um, people that weren't normally, um, you know, the stereotype would say that they wouldn't want to be associated with. Really powerful cultural relevant stuff. Perfect. Well, I mean, that ad will be linked to in this listing as people are are listening to this, as will all um, top. I was going to say top 10, but I think top 11 ads. That yeah, have been but there's 11, there's 11 people on the pitch, so we've gone with 11. <laughs> uh, you know, distinctive numbers stick out in memory, so I, I'm I'm trying, mate. I'm hustling. <laughs> well, we had Richard Shotton on a couple of weeks ago, and he would certainly nod along with that point. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles Edwards. Only last week, some pod-listening companies did just that, calling for guidance on building a funnel. But we're not asking you to do that. Nope. Anyway, back to the show. My first sort of proper paid weekly job was a holiday job as a student, uh, which was driving a forklift truck at the Ribena factory. Ah, Call to Action, episode 11, with the one and only Rory Sutherland. Not what we were looking for, but hang on a minute. Awesome. You mentioned um, the word efficiency there, which um, kind of often brings me out in a rash if people are talking ROI and the like. Um, but I'm but I'm interested in your take on what your ads can't predict and what factors that might include, because the Super Bowl ads clearly have a lot of significance. There was a great uh, post by Shane O'Leary recently where he talked about it being the last bastion of live linear TV. And there's mm. some there's yeah. significant power around that, you know, synchronized watching together, which obviously, you know, can't be part of the measure for obvious reasons. But where does that kind of scale of effectiveness come into things? So I recently wrote an, artic- an article for The Drum on out of home. And my main point was marketers need to connect the media and creativity lens to really achieve effectiveness. So the first point of call with effectiveness is will the ad do... The first point of call with effectiveness is will the campaign, will these marketing decisions 
do what we want them to do. Some people would define effectiveness as kind of it will make money, but that's not broad enough because, you know, nonprofits and, and stuff like this, or the Jesus side, I don't think Jesus is trying to make money anymore. Deep there. Yeah. Um, so will the ad do what it's going to do is effectiveness? And then you go to efficiency. How can I do more of it for less? And the two need to go hand in hand, but you need to address effectiveness first. If we start getting lost in the weeds of CPMs, click-through, this kind of stuff, ROI, well, one, the easiest way to boost ROI is reduce your spending. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. And two, you're kind of chasing your own tail. So the efficiency lens needs to be brought into the effectiveness sense, but it needs to be done in the right order. We need to be very aware of what is efficiency and, and what is effectiveness. And then we've got kind of the media lens you were talking about around um, Super Bowl being a famous occasion. That's why I love sport advertising. I, I wrote some research called the Sports Dividend with OMD's Sports Partnership Agency, Fuse. And sport is one of the last few advertising occasions where you're actually getting people sat around together it's a shared experience it's why everyone pays so much for t um, cinema advertising and you know we experience things differently when we know other people are experiencing things there's different signal values um essence media comms amazing research around signal strength of media you know what does the media um say what channel you put it in so i always consider kind of like some some online display as the trash of uh, of the internet. You know, you judge brands for leaving litter around. What does the media say? And then you bring that into what does your creative say and bring the two together. And it's about understanding your advertising as much as possible, understanding what I would call the guardrails, the creative realities of a media channel, and playing within that and bringing the two together. So... Super Bowl is a very famous shared broad medium. So the advertising is about brand building. It, it can reach, well, so Super Bowl is a very famous broad medium. So the best way to take advantage of that is to look for those brand building effects. How can we be broadly interesting within that? How can we drive fame that people are going to talk about? So it's really about bringing in the lens together. What we do at System 1 is understanding what the creative potential of an ad is and the effectiveness lens. And then it's about handing that information over to someone that really understands the media lens. Yeah. I picked up on <coughs> picked up on the word you use um, signaling there because I think it's something that's just too, well, perhaps not understood as widely as it should be in our industry, but also it's easy to assume just because it's one word, it means one thing. But I think there's so much signaling, not only from the great expense uh, that a Super Bowl ad will represent, but also the signaling effect of, of being experienced, a shared experience, again, to use your term, um, and the prestige of the event itself. Uh, but I also feel maybe they're just notoriously hard things to understand and measure, typically for your you know standard marketer who doesn't work in one of the sort of top 1% of, of big brands worldwide. Completely agree. I mean, the, one of the only things we all agree, I mean, like what advertising does is signal. You know, I'm 
doing well because I'm advertising in Piccadilly Circus or Times Square or on the Super Bowl and we want to be buying and uh, uh, kind of signaling our own, own worth with these sorts of brands and then the rest of it is is creativity and, and advertising. Understanding the media channels and working within that in that knowledge and understanding the best practices, how we get really, really um, effective advertising and amplify the effects of creativity. Yeah, perfect. Um, we've had a few listener questions in, as I mentioned to you before we recorded, and one of them I think is quite a nice um, sidestep on the point we're talking on now. So I'm going to head there now, Andrew. Okay. So asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or both names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking. Scott says, or Scott asks, I clicked on a YouTube video titled Top 10 Funniest Super Bowl Ads 2024 and saw that the top comment was, usually I skip ads, but I just watched 11 minutes of ads willingly. Crazy. What is it about Super Bowl ads that makes them welcome and sort out, unlike, quote, regular ads? So we've kind of skirted around a few points already, but is there anything else you can you can field there? Yeah, I think one point is address the whole um, people's opinions versus kind of robustness. So as as we as we mentioned, um, I, I used to I, I was training to be a doctor, and one thing um, you get taught is to make evidence-based decisions based on this thing called the hierarchy of evidence, where um, at the bottom of this kind of pyramid, we've got um, promising kind of um, data um, or research that would allow you to make a somewhat strong opinion. And at the very top, we've got something that you can very confidently make a decision on and you're not going to get stripped of, of your license. At the very bottom of this pyramid is an expert opinion. So someone using their um, someone using their their experience to make an informed decision. That's at the very bottom of this pyramid. At the very top of this pyramid is a meta-analysis. So looking at lots of different cases, the, a quantitative data approach, an empirical approach, and looking at what's happened in a very uh in a and i'm looking at what's happened in a very explanatory power at to lead to certain outcomes and if you base the decision on that kind of top of the pyramid a meta-analysis or a systematic review you're not going to ever go too far wrong from what you should be doing in between we've got kind of like um randomized control trials which in a, a marketer would be like AB testing on on Meta or something like this, or kind of like case control studies where you don't intervene but you observe and you look at things and you go, oh, interesting. That's probably because of this and this. We need to bring more of that evidence, uh, evidence approach and theory and method into our decisions. So we have an industry full of amazing marketers and and creatives and brilliant brilliant people and that that's who make all our ads and that's incredible we need to take a more data-led approach um to working out what's working so we can do more of it and we can shine a light on who's making work that works yeah so maybe that's a bit of a rant but um but, and then in terms of 
Well, and then to address the second part of that child, um, the why why do we sit and watch Super Bowl ads, and why do we suddenly start caring about everyone's opinion on them almost, and on what to talk about them? It's kind of like let's take ourselves back to John Lewis at Christmas, where when they were at their site, you know, they put the John Lewis Christmas ad on Sky as like a program in like the, you know, click to watch a movie. And it got millions of people watching it. People actually were looking forward to the John Lewis Christmas ad and watching it. That got them millions and millions of reach of free reach, high attention reach. Why does that happen? Well, it's because it's a, it, it's a cultural, it, it becomes a cultural piece, right? It's what same is. People are talking about my brand. And it's that dance between picking something that's culturally relevant um, and the celebrities, but also this cost signaling of how much advertising, the suitable advertising costs. And people get kind of swept up in that, and it's really amazing. And it's about how do we understand how to make the most of that versus looking at it and going, oh, while people talk about ads with celebritism, we should probably uh, put more celebrities in our ads. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're talking about your brand, does it? So it's about understanding that it's a famous, culturally relevant event that people care about, and then using that to make more effective advertising. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a qualifier of sorts, isn't it, I suppose, because of that culture and fame that you mentioned. It's not as if, you, you know, you're waking up at 3am and Dave's still on and you see that weird carpet guy. I have Maybe never done just that, the... Edley Jowls, but I, I, whatever you do on your Sundays, I'm going to let you carry on, okay? <laughs> oh, dear, deal. Uh, question two from Steve. Steve says, you've spoken before about how the US are better at using ads for longer than UK marketers are. To flip that, what could US marketers learn from UK marketing? Great question. Let's not breeze over the start of that where US marketers get a lot of shit. Um, and the first stone recently was thrown by Mark Ritson around US marketers not being um, as effective. So what amazing, like I found this data looking at um, not only do US marketers put ads on air for longer, which is a great thing because consistency is the hallmark of creative effectiveness, really. Um, but they also make it when when ads are more effective in our database, we see they make they use them for even longer. So they kind of put more money behind the harder working ads. That's incredible. What can US marketers learn from UK marketers? Well, creativity is our is our greatest export, right? It's Similarly, like the creative work that comes out of our agencies is absolutely incredible. And we see this at UK Christmas. And American advertisers and creators should have a look at what happens at UK Christmas because effectiveness goes through the roof um, from all the data we can see at System One. It's what I called early right brain creative features story, character, and craft. But they're also packed full of fluent devices. You know, a fluent device is a brand-owned character or a, a, a branded creative concept that gets repeated again and again across different campaigns. It holds this consistency um, to the campaign whilst keeping it fresh. A great example is Kevin the Carrot at Christmas in the UK with Aldi, 
where Kevin the Carrot is a brand-owned character and you can make him do anything you want and you know it's Aldi and it's emotional and it's consistent. Um, but you can change that message every year and you can get him to sell different products. You can get him to tell a different culturally relevant story. So there's a distinct lack of consistency and fluent devices in especially this um, Super Bowl work this year. Um, I loved the Pringles ad um, this year because it played on you know a distinctive asset. But I think it dropped accidentally a very effective fluent device. So I don't know if you've seen any of Pringles work in the UK, but it's, this is a global campaign, which is, again, why I love it. But it's about um, not being able to let go of the flavor, flavor that lasts with Pringles. And people get their hands stuck in the Pringles can, the tube. Um, and it's playing on something that only Pringles can, a distinctive product. And it's laddered up into something a bit more emotional. Wow, it's got this flavor benefit, and it's a, a humorous play on it. And it's flavor that lasts. It, it tastes better. And uh, admittedly, they, they stop there and don't ladder it into, you know, something about saving the world or making them, you know, purpose-led. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's humorous. And they use it for multiple years. And the past two years of Super Bowl ads were this fluid device. Not, you know, um, there was this one where a baby, I think, got his hand stuck in a Pringles tube. And then the ad was following him through its life. And he had to live with his hand in the Pringles tube. It's humor. It's craft. It's distinctive. It's branded. It's consistent. And Pringles this year dropped it for um, celeb with mustache looks like the Pringles man. It was a great ad, but I feel like they'd, they'd missed the crown jewels and they were building something amazing. So, yeah, to recap, I think American marketers can definitely learn this kind of, this fluent device and creative lens. There are some people that are doing it, like the T-Mobile, Donald Faison and Zach Braff adopt these characters and sing every year and I mean they're advertising throughout the year, but there's a lower proportion of ads with fluent characters and creative consistency. Yeah, yeah, brilliant answer. I'm going to move to the final part of the interview then, Andrew, slightly mindful of our time, uh, which is our four pertinent posers. Starting with number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I would tell my younger self to um, slow the hell down. Um, I was so brutally aware that I'd spent years in med school and then decided that I actually want to build a career in um, marketing and, and business um, and brand building. And I felt like I didn't have much time. And it, I guess in one part, it's, uh, it's driven me. Like, um, I am aware that I'm 27 and I'm, I feel like I'm doing rather well, but I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was younger, um, to just work all the time and expect to know all the answers and it leads you to taking on, uh, feedback in a very personal way and, um, not kind of making decisions not taking enough time to make decisions and comparing yourself to like other people and where they're at. And it's not needed. Like um, the more comfortable I've got in my career over the past couple of years at System One, kind of um, just focused on what I know and what I can learn and what I, where I can add value, the, the chips fall into place and you kind of find yourself kind of progressing and 
and learning and, and putting out really, you know, relevant work that you're proud of. And the the less you worry about that and the more you focus on what you love doing and um, just trying to learn and, and do what you can um, and, and connecting with the right people uh, in, a, in a positive way. That That's what matters. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, slow the fuck down would be my advice. <laughs> yeah, well put. Really wise words. Sounds like a much better place to be as well where you are now. Well done. Yeah. Uh, number two, if you could banish one thing from our industry, what would it be and why? I'm about to get uninvited from where I where I get a lot of work. So <laughs> buckle up. Um, shit panel chats. Like... I very, very rarely leave a panel chat without one cringing at the behavior of some people on that chat, where it's kind of like, and that's, I can only describe it as kind of, they're, they're just there to kind of uh, self-promote or kind of listen to themselves talk for a bit, and they're not even answering my questions um, or sharing anything of like, and if that's relevant, or like I can take an action, I don't understand why I'm there a lot of the time. Like, I get keen like keynote speeches, or like I'd I love turning up and seeing your research presented by someone that's put the time in. Like, um, I, I've recently released some uh, published some research on radio that took me twelve months with a massive team of amazing people, like using ten years of data and. I put that into like a 15 minute presentation and try share that as value. Like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Turning up and listening to that because that's yeah. the, probably the best medium to quickly learn some insights from like a team of people's effort. But watches and some wankers wax lyrical. Like there's only a few panel chats I've left where I'm like, wow, I I'm glad I got out of bed to that one. Um, I hope that doesn't really piss off or upset some people. I think you need saying, Andrew, typically, and I share your your exact kind of pain around panels is usually people are either like human thesauruses and they just repeat what the last person said in slightly different words, or they just parrot that person almost verbatim. And it's just such a pointless round robin of chat. Yeah, um, but what you want is you want people with, <laughs> yeah, you just want people with opposing views and you want to be able to actually normalize people just disagreeing with each other because... You know, the, the exploring the grayscale of other people's opinions is exactly what we should be promoting. But yeah, no, I, I, I echo that entirely. Number three, Andrew, any books that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I err on the side of nerd and um, Jenny Rumanak's um, How to Build Distinctive Brand Assets is a marketing piece of gold. Um, I prefer it to how brands grow only because I feel like in the in the world I work in, I feel like that's very accepted knowledge now and, and that's great. I read How to Build Distinctive Brand Assets. I've reread it and I find myself actually applying the learnings daily and it's it, it's up there in the hierarchy of evidence. You know, it, it's it's got solid, robust data from consumers in it. There's not an opinion in that book and it's you can actually take it and apply actual insights into your work. And I feel like my work got more effective after reading that book. Um, I love Jenny. I think she's awesome. Uh, I've met her once. I love her book. And you know what, with Jenny, I actually, when I was doing my master's, I uh, when I was trying to decide on what I should 
do my uh, um, uh, dissertation on. I actually dropped her an email because her email's at the back of the book. Like, oh, just drop me a chat if you ever want to. And she replied. So, you know, what a wonderful person with an amazing book. I, I recommend everyone go out, have a, have a read. Amazing. Yeah, no, I, I again, Jenny's awesome. She's been on the show a couple of times. I've had the pleasure of meeting her too a few times. She's a wonderful human being and a very smart one. So um, how to build distinctive brand assets. Perfect. And then number four, Andrew, is we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who has to give their reason why. So would you dedicate this episode? Yeah. Um, oh, this is so easy. Um, my mentor, uh, colleague, and um, I guess he's become a very good friend, and Orlando Wood, who has been on this podcast as well. And Orlando has spent the past... 10 or 20 years in an incredibly humbling way, um, working with the data that the industry has to answer um, our important marketing effectiveness questions in a very insightful and enjoyable way through his work and books, um, Lemon and Lookout with the IPA. He's uh, so damn humble and pleasant and uh, a great human being. Um, who, if I can end up being anything like that one day and less of a gobby wanker, I, you know, I, I'd be very pleased with myself. Um, and he has been so generous with his time and knowledge with me um, and allowed me to kind of um, learn from him, but then go and take his principles and his work into um, kind of new channels with, with the research I do. Um, and we're working on some kind of publications together now Orlando is possibly the most impactful and important person I've ever met in advertising. And I it's a pleasure to work with him. Wonderful. Well, what a what a perfect and lovely recommendation. This episode is very proudly dedicated to Orlando Wood. Wonderful. Um, so as a final call to action, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to share all of System One's insights and findings around the Super Bowl. We will link to Jenny's book. Um, how else can our listeners get more Andrew Tyndall? I talked about the the hierarchical evidence earlier, where we've got kind of meta analysis at the right, at the top, and then opinions at the bottom. Right below that bottom is a secret shit brown layer of wankers' opinions on LinkedIn. And I encourage you to um, go and and stray as far from the hierarchy of evidence as possible, and and have a follow of this wanker on LinkedIn. Um, I overshare. Uh, we spend thousands and thousands on collecting data and building these insights. And I put far too much of it online for free. So um, do yourself a favor and, and, and go steal some of that. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Amazing. Well, listen, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us from um, your hold up there in New York. It's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure, mate. And I've, um, I've really enjoyed this. Oh, really great to speak to you, Jars. And finally, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep your questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find GASP online or email the mouthful that is call to action at gasp.agency. I can't get no call to action. 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 I
call to action But I try, and I try, and I try, and I try Yeah, hey, hey. 